All right. Psalm 19. There's two important questions that every person should know the answer to. Two questions every single person should know the answer to. One, is there a God? Second question they should know the answer to, if there is a God, how do I have a relationship with him? Those are questions that have eternal consequences. Is there a God, and how can I have a relationship with this God? Now, I think back, it wasn't until 23 years ago that I even considered that there was a God. And here's the amazing thing. God had revealed himself to me and to everyone else through his creation. Yet, through my pride, through my self-focus, and through my ignorance, I rejected that truth. But also God had revealed himself to us through his word. But here's what I thought about God's word, his Bible. I thought it was full of errors. Yet I'd never read it. It's easy to be down on what we're not up on. You know, I've been known to be many times wrong, but never in doubt. And, and the fact is, is that we can, in our own minds, we can think, no, there's no way. But God has revealed himself to us. And it wasn't until January 11th, 1998, that all of a sudden the scales fell off my eyes as I heard the truth of the gospel, that there is a God who's a loving, gracious God, and that he sent his son, Jesus, into this world because we're a sinful, fallen world. And because of our sinful nation and because of our sinfulness, we've been separated from God without hope. But God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, a life we could never live, to become a sacrifice on the cross in our place, to die a death we deserve to die, and to be raised on the third day, and that by putting our faith and trust in him, we could have eternal life. It was on January 11th, 1998, that that truth became real to me and became real to Pam. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. And to understand this, and I'll put it on the screen, it's the big idea. God has been revealed to us. Nope. That's, well, let's, let's move on. I'm not, I'm not going to go there yet. Actually, I missed that. It's my fault. But, but let, me, let me put up the big idea. God has been revealed, God has revealed himself to us through his creation, through his word, and through his son. God has revealed himself to all mankind through creation. God has revealed himself through his word, through his Bible, through his holy scriptures. And God has revealed himself through his son. Now, now let me put up Romans chapter 1. Here's the problem. Romans chapter 1 says this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, speaking of all mankind. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. 
in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. What is Paul saying there? We are without excuse for rejecting God because God has made himself clear to us. And he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their, fuel, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So instead of worshiping God, they worship God's creation. How warped is that? Yet how many of us have been guilty of that? When you look at Psalm 19, it shows us that we are without excuse. Paul talks about that. So I want to read Psalm 19. Follow along as I read this incredible psalm. And, and here's the thing I want you to see as we read this psalm. There's, there's really three parts. The first part is God's glory, in revel God's glory in creation. The second part is we see God is revealed and his glory is revealed in Scripture. And the third part is how should we respond. All right. Psalm 19. A psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man run its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of transgression. Let the words of my mouth. And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want to look at two truths and end with a question today. Two truths and a question. Here's the first truth. God has revealed himself to you through his creation. God has revealed himself to you through his creation. Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When you walk outside and you look at the sky, you look at the firmament. Well, at night, when you look up and you look at the stars, in fact, a couple weeks ago, we were up in Greer. 8,500 feet was the elevation. Not a whole lot of light. The stars were spectacular. And you're just left saying, The heavens declare his glory. 
The sky above proclaims his handiwork. In fact, those two verbs declare and proclaims um, their participles. They're in the continuous sense, meaning that they continue to declare his glory. They continue to proclaim his handiwork. You can't get away from it. It's like every morning you wake up, you look outside, God is screaming, here I am. I am real. In fact, notice it says, day by day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. It just continues to pour out. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. What you see here is creation can't contain itself. It has to declare its glory. In fact, it's, there's, there's kind of a, a little bit of a contradiction here. It says in verse 2, it, it continues to pour out speech. Verse 3 says, there is no speech. Verse 4 says, the voice, voice go out through, goes out through all the earth. Like, what is it? Is there speech? Is there not speech? And, and what David is saying is that through words and without words, God is declaring his glory. Now, some of you guys may understand this. Let me ask you. Can your wife speak to you without saying a word? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, a lot of times, you know, Pam and I kind of have a thing when we go out and we, we know that, okay, if I got to get up early in the morning, you know, for church or something, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in the car, but then we might be going and then all of a sudden, you know, she'll give me a little pat or I'll give her a little pat and we kind of, it's like our, it's our, it's our silent conversation. And so we can have that. But at the same time, what we see here is the voice of God's creation continues to pour out, whether it is actual speech or not. Notice what it says in, in verse 4 at the end. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, meaning in God's heaven, in his creation. He has set a tent for the sun. I'm getting a little bit of a feedback here. He says, he says, uh, which is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the, heaven of the, is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. He's talking about it's like God is like the sun that just every morning comes out of his tabernacle, comes across the sky, declaring there is a God every day coming out. Like a, like a bridegroom leaving his chamber wanting to see his bride. You know, just imagine what, a, you know, what, what it's like for a, for a bridegroom to, like, just can't wait for his wedding day. Just, like, he, he explodes out of his, his dressing room. That's what David is talking about here. Honey, I do that every day with you. Or like a strong man runs its course with joy. And he says, there's nothing that can be hidden from its heat. What's he saying there is like nobody can escape the truth that there is a God. Listen, God has revealed himself to you through his creation. But now you get a shift. And that shift goes from what we see as general revelation. General revelation is where for all of mankind, we see this. But then you have special revelation. Special revelation is God revealing himself through his word. And that's what we see next. God has revealed himself to you 
to his word. Now, when you look at verses 7 through 9, it's a very concise statement describing God's word, its attributes, and its benefits. In fact, it's pretty amazing. You, 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 you get these parallelisms, and you get, you get six nouns, and then six adjectives, and then six verbs describing names for, for, for God's word, and then the uh, attributes of God's word, and then finally, the benefits of God's word. This is special revelation. Now, there's a lot, Scripture does a lot to, to um, interpret itself, and we learn a lot about God's word from God's word. Let me just put up uh, some, some verses quickly. We know that the source of God's word from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's, it's, it's breathed out, it's inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But not only that, it speaks of the power of God's word. Look at Psalm 33, 6, which says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. We know that God spoke. And it was by the Lagos, John, John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Nothing was made that wasn't made through him. God, God is through the Lagos, through the word. The heavens were made. Look at, look at Mark chapter 13, verse 31. It speaks of the eternality of God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's word is eternal, but not only is it eternal, it is the guide for life. Look what Psalm 119, 105 says. Your lamp, excuse me, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to be on the right path, God's word gives you the path. You know, as I go through this, and there's more, why would you not read God's word? Why would you not spend time in God's word when you understand this about God's word? Look at, uh, look at Proverbs chapter uh, 4, verse 22. It says, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. They are life. God has given us his word. He has revealed himself through his word. So now what I want to do is I want to look in verses 7 through 9, first of all, at the names of God's word. He gives us six names, six nouns. Notice what you see in verse 7, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord, uh, the commandments of the Lord. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord. Verse, uh, and then also the rules of the Lord. One thing you can't miss is that these are all of God, of the Lord, over and over and over again. And what he's doing is giving you these six different nouns that all give you different aspects of God's word. When he says the law, it's the word Torah. It's the instruction. Torah is instruction. God has given us an instruction book for life. The Torah, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the truths that are tested to us by God. We know Jesus Christ. We know about Jesus Christ because of the testimony of God's word. All the, the hundreds of prophecies of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, all in the Old Testament, all perfectly revealed through Jesus, his son. That's why we know that, that God, that Jesus is 
our Savior, that he is God, it, it is declared. It's the testimony of not just the law and the prophets, but of Jesus himself and then also of those who saw him walking this earth. And then we see the precepts of the Lord. Those are principles for life. They speak of the character of God's word. And then you see the commandments. Those are the command. And then you get, we've seen a lot of, of, of uh, synonyms, but now you get the fear of the Lord. It's a little bit different. And the fear of the Lord really speaks of our response to God's word. See, when we read God's word, it should cause all of a sudden we see God for who he is and for what he has done. And there's an awe. In fact, if you want to read a great book on awe, Paul Tripp wrote a book called Awe. And it's all about the glory of God. It's about the awe of God. And, and when it talks about fear, it's not a, it's, it's not a fear phobia. It's a reverential awe of God. And finally, he uses the rules or the ordinances, the standard for judging. Those are the names of God's word. But now what I want to do is I want to look specifically at the attributes and the benefits of God's word. This is where I want to spend really a little bit of time here. The benefits of God's word, the attributes. First of all, we see being perfect, it revives your soul. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. Reviving the soul. That word perfect, it means without blemish or spot. But ultimately it means lacking nothing. It's all there. There's nothing else you need. It's perfect. It's all there. The Bible is not, not deficient, but it is sufficient. And that's why it's so important for us to be able to say, listen, God's word is sufficient. Not only is it authoritative, and not only is it inerrant without error, but it is sufficient. It is perfect. There, you know, I heard once a church came up with a counseling, a secular counseling program in the church, and they said, now we have something. Now we don't have to just rely on God's word to help people. But God's word is perfect. I'm not, not saying that there aren't other ways to help people. But God's word is perfect. And notice this. It revives the soul. That soul, it's your inner being. It revives us. It restores us. Ultimately, it is what saves us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. It, it, is, it is what converts us, renews us, and restores us. And the fact is, no matter the condition of your heart or the challenges that you may have gone through, the law of the Lord can revive your soul, no matter what you've been through. We even sang about that earlier. Let me ask you, has your soul been revived? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Revived. That where God takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old thing is gone. The old is gone. The new has come. Being perfect, God's word revives your soul. Here's the second benefit of God's word. Second attribute and benefit. Being trustworthy, it provides you wisdom. 
Notice it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. That word sure, it means it's trustworthy. It's unwavering. It's reliable. You can take it to the bank. It, it, it's sure. It's, you can stand firm in it. It's why in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that God provides, that, that God has provided uh, uh, teachers and pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, 14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen, we as Christians, we shouldn't be wavering back and forth. We have a sure word. We have a trustworthy word. In fact, that's why Paul says to Timothy, and you know, such an important verse in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verse 2, he says, he says, preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Repuve, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit up their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We have a more sure word, a trustworthy word. The testimony of the Lord is your greatest source of wisdom. In fact, the Proverbs say, get wisdom. And it doesn't say just get information, but it's wisdom for marriage, wisdom for child training, wisdom for work, wisdom for relationships, wisdom for trials. Pam and I have been believers for maybe two or three years, and we, we stepped back from all that we were working on, and we just, we said, God's word has so much for marriage. And so we, we ended up spending a, uh, about six months developing a course called Practical Steps for a Biblical Marriage. And it was, it was, it was what does God's word say for marriage? You know, God's design for marriage, you know, um, uh, Biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, biblical child training, biblical uh, sex, biblical finances. And, and what we would say is, listen, we don't have any training in, in marriage counseling. We don't have any training in psychology. But what we have is God's word, and God's word is enough. It's sufficient, and it is the wisdom you need to have a great marriage. Here's the problem. You have to apply it. If you don't apply it, it really does you no good. Do you want to build a family that glorifies God? Build it with God's word. It is sufficient for life. In fact, Psalm twenty or uh, uh, yes, uh, Psalm twenty or Proverbs twenty four three says, "By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established." All right. Here's the thing about God's word. You can get rid of all your self help books. This is the greatest self help book ever written. But it, it tells you, don't do it yourself. I'm here. It's not rocket science, but we make it that way. You could trust his word for wisdom. Here's the third attribute and benefit. Being right, it brings you joy. Being right, it brings you joy. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts, divine principles, they're right. This doesn't mean right as opposed to wrong. It's like a straight path versus a crooked path. The right path. 
you know, the path to joy. And this is a true joy, a joy that's deep down in the heart that comes when you have a right relationship with God and a right understanding of God's word. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. I'll put it on the screen. Jeremiah says this, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy. Now, go read the life of Jeremiah. His circumstances were horrific. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight to my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Great verse, great reminder that our joy is not a result of our circumstances, but our joy is a result of being on the right path and knowing the God of joy. In fact, in Christ, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. True joy comes from walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Biblical joy is a condition of the heart, and it's not dependent on our circumstances. And the fact is, there's a lot of joy knowing that we're on the right path. Let me ask you, anybody ever get lost before? I mean, it's kind of hard now with your cell phones, but anybody ever be lost before? I mean, when you get lost and you're like you're with the family, there's stress, there's anxiety, maybe a little depression, we're going to be late. And then all of a sudden you figure it out and you get back on the right path. And, and there's this joy knowing you're on the right path and it pushes away the anxiety. It pushes away the depression. It, it's like this is why Paul, or Paul, this is why David says, he says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's word revives your soul. It provides wisdom. It brings joy to your heart. But fourth, being clear, it gives you clarity. How many of you like waking up in the morning and your mind's in a fog? It's like, ah, I'm just in a fog, like nothing. It's like, none of us like that. I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, when we were up in, in Greer, we had a bathroom about the size of this podium. And you take a shower, and what does the mirror look like? I mean, it's just like fog. And, and you're like, you're, you're like looking in and you're trying to, and you know, you're getting a towel and you're trying to clean it off. And then all of a sudden it's just like, it's foggy again. And, but that's not God's word. Notice what it says, what, it, what he says in verse uh, 8, second part 8. He says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That word pure means to be clear. It gives clarity to your life. This is so important for us to be reminded of. God's word gives us clarity. In a world of so much confusion and so much fog, we don't have to go far to get clarity. But do we? See, Scripture means what it says and says what it means. They bring clarity, not confusion. They bring order and not disorder. In the world of so many opinions... We just have to go to one place to get the truth, to get clarity. See, God's word 
brings absolute clarity, no equivocation, no wondering. It enlightens the eyes. It causes the scales of ignorance to fall off. Listen, a biblical worldview gives clarity to gender. It gives clarity to justice. It gives clarity to marriage. It gives clarity to equality. It gives clarity to relationships. And you start adding the world's thinking into it, and you get a muddy mess. Being pure, it gives you clarity. And that's why I love listening to Albert Moeller, his, his morning briefing. Because it gives you the world's news through a biblical worldview. Some of you even may, may listen to The World and Everything in It. It's a great little news podcast, once again, from a Christian worldview. It doesn't mean that we don't have an understanding of what's going on around us. But it's so important. If we want clarity, filter it through God's word. Fifth, being undefiled, it gives you stability. It gives you stability. The fear of the Lord describes the effects that Scripture has on those that respond to it. The more he's revealed to you, the more you have an awe of him, the more you worship him. And notice what it says in verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There's a stability there. It's clean. It's absence of impurity, filth, or defilement. Scripture is without error. It is without error. It is without corruption. Look at Psalm 12.6. Psalm 12.6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Pure. Not defiled. So important for us to have that. In fact, I'm just sitting here thinking, if, if, if God's people, if Christians, would spend half the time that they spend on social media or video gaming in God's word, think of the transformation that would take in their hearts. I'm not dogging either one of those things, yet I could. But the fact is, we get consumed with those. We should be consumed with God's word because it is undefiled. It gives you stability. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. It's permanent. It's unchanging. It's never old. It's never antiquated. It's never outdated. It is sufficient for all seasons, for all ages. And finally, being true, it warns you and rewards you. God gave us this. It warns you and rewards you. Verse 9 again, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They provide the standard for truth. And truth is not relative. Truth is true. And just because you don't believe it does not mean it's not true. It just means you don't believe it. And you need to understand it and learn it. Jesus says to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You never have to question God's word. In fact, it was the questioning of God's word that caused the biggest problems in our world, the fall of man. Did God really say Genesis chapter 3? It gives direction for right living, living in a way that pleases God. 
This is a book that revives your soul, that provides wisdom for living, that brings joy to your heart, that gives clarity to your heart, that produces stability for endurance, that gives direction for right living. No wonder David speaks of its value and protection. Look at 10 and 11. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. God has revealed himself to us through creation. God has revealed himself to us through his word. But God also revealed himself to us through his son. Now, again, that's not in the text, but I think it's so important that we at least go there and look at John 1.14, speaking of the words, speaking of the Lagos. John 1.14, and the word, Jesus is the word, he is the Lagos, became flesh and dwelt among us. He walked along this world, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's the third one of these I've seen. And that's probably me causing that. Not that I, that those things bother me. Just relax, Bill. You're in God's word. It's okay. But the fact is, God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself through creation, through his word. He has revealed himself through his son. So that leaves us with a question. How should you respond to God's revelation? How should you respond to God's revelation? Have you responded to God's revelation? In fact, we've all responded. We maybe have responded in the affirmative or we've responded in the negative. The fact is there's no middle ground. There's no fence sitting. You're either on one side or the other. You're either on the narrow path or you're on the wide path. And you see David's commitment to Scripture here. First, he prays for God's forgiveness and deliverance from additional sins. Like, a right reverence of God leads to a right response. And you see this response in verse uh, 12 and 13. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He says, God, just show me. He says, he says keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That word presumptuous means willful or deliberate. Let them not have dominion over me. Like, like, I understand your glory, God. I don't want to be that person, but I want to be in a right relationship with you. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. And we know that the only way we can be blameless and innocent and righteous is through the shed blood of Christ. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then finally... David appeals to God as his rock and redeemer. Let the, and it's like, this is his response. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The fact is, when you meditate on God's word, when you, when you see his glory declared through the heavens, you can't help but be transformed from the inside out. When you do, your soul is revived. You're given wisdom and clarity and joy and stability and righteousness. So as our worship team comes up, I want to just ask the questions. Is there a God? We know that the heavens declare his glory. There is a God. 
there's a creator. The heavens scream creation. But here's the second question. Do you have a relationship with that God? I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Has there been a time that you've turned from your sin and self and you've said, God, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he came into this world, that he died on the cross for my sins, and he was raised on the third day. I believe that your word is inerrant. I believe that your word is sufficient. I believe that your word is authoritative, and it has all things for life and godliness. And I, I, I believe that this tells me how I can have a relationship with you. And even right now, I want to have that relationship with you. Maybe some of you have been living kind of a cultural Christianity, but not a committed, dependent Christianity where Jesus is your Christ. He's your Messiah. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth of your word. Lord, we know that your word does not return void. Father, we know that faith comes up by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Lord, I pray right now that through the hearing of your word, through the power of your spirit, that you would change hearts. In Jesus' name I pray.